This episode is sponsored by Gorichka Clothing. That's K-U-R-O-C-H-K-A. Gorichka Clothing makes t-shirts, tote bags, and other cool things inspired by Russian and Ukrainian culture, pre-Putin, of course. They're also currently working on a cookbook that will be filled with Russian recipes, food-related history, literature, and beautiful illustrations. I'm looking at the shirts right now, and they're awesome. They've got one that's got all sorts of drawings of what goes into a borscht soup and a big pot of the stuff at the bottom. You should check it out. Go to gorichkaclothing.com. That's K-U-R-O-C-H-K-A clothing.com. Or check them out on Facebook at facebook.com slash gorichkaclothing. K-U-R-O-C-H-K-A clothing. Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is Jenna Ipkar. Howdy. And live via Skype, it's Alex Hyatt. Hiya, hi. Hiya, Hyatt. Hiya, Hyatt. Yeah. Aren't we all live? You're especially live. You're coming from a great distance. Where are you coming from today? Well, Michigan. That's a great distance. Unless you're listening to this podcast in Michigan, like one of the listeners, and then they're like, that's not a great distance. That's yeah, nice. go visit Alex. Yeah, I The could... signal's still going to outer space and back. That's true. So you are our first, uh, no, you're our second space traveler guest because Harry Brewis traveled right. to space to get to here into yeah. our ears. And so have you. Yep. What's space like? It's like in uh, Willy Wonka. You remember how they, they like the camera that digitizes you? And sends all your little bits, basically. That's what's happening to me now. So I can't, I can't tell you what it's like in the transit. I can only tell you what it's like on either end. So there's no sensation? You don't feel tingly? Nope. No, yeah, I don't get that at all. Alex is, uh, he was one of the first smug film guys, along with me and Greg DeLisa. We launched the site in January 2013. He predates Jenna. Jenna, that's, that's right. I don't know when you joined the site, but a while after. The three of you gave birth to me. Yeah, it was me, Greg, and Alex writing pieces like every week. And then Alex started caring more about rocks than he did about movies. Uh, I'm a geology student. Oh, I thought that was way more. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind. Continue. What did you think? (laughs) Crack rocks? Yeah. Oh, Oh, no. God, no. No, that's not my style. So geology is your style, yes? Yeah. I mean, maybe. Why do you like rocks so much? What's so great about rocks? Oh, God. Pitch rocks uh, to us. Okay, well, so the rocks in and of themselves aren't really that interesting, but it, it's kind of a combination of uh, what you can learn from the rock. Like every rock. You're already you losing know. me. Come on. <laughs> Why uh, are well, rocks... rocks are really old. I mean, I can pick up any rock and it, I'll be like, this rock is 200 million years old. Just knowing as much earth history as I do now, that gives like a really deep sense of awe, you know. Do you, do you to, end that every sentence uh, when you do that with rock and roll? No, no. You know, one of the things that really uh, disappointed me about the whole field of geology is that when I first uh, like chose my major and everything, I went up to one of my professors when someone made a pun and I said, real geologists don't abide by the puns, right? Like you can't really do that in the field. And they're like, and she said, no, everyone does it. You go to the conferences, there are puns everywhere. And I was really disappointed at that. It's kind of a... Why do you hate puns there, guy? Well, because yeah. there are only, only so many rock puns you can make. And so it's inevitably just the same ones over and over and over. Like you give everyone the people's eyebrow? I don't know what that is. <laughs> the rock. 
Is that w- like a communist? WWE. That's all I know about WWE. <laughs> oh, who did that? The Rock. The Rock, man. Dwayne oh, yeah. The Rock Johnson. It doesn't oh, matter. He had a lot of little sticks, didn't he, then? I don't remember them all. In I like world? Dwayne Johnson, though. I see him in a movie, and I just, I'm just i glad he's there. He's not great, but... Yeah, he, he can make there. a movie pretty damn tolerable. Yeah. Did you ever see that Walking Tall one? I saw it like on TV. I didn't see all of it. It's worth watching. He carries a two-by-four. I saw the original Walking Tall. It's terrible. Because he wasn't in it. <laughs> he's he's Hercules now, right? That's coming out this uh, summer. Right, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he plays Hercules. Oh, yeah, boy. There's like, like the second Hercules movie this yeah, there's, year. Yeah, there's two Hercules movies this year. He's in one of them. Some other guy's in the other one. But, I mean, why even bring that other movie out? If The yeah. Rock is Hercules in one of them, that's the one. All right, so, Alex... You've written a lot of pieces for the, uh, well, not a lot, actually. You're kind of a slacker. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's not a lot. Yeah, you've written some pieces. Jen has written some. You guys are both slackers. Yeah, that's true. Like, I could have gone back to the rocks later. Yeah, the rocks can wait. If anything, the rocks have been waiting more than anything else on the planet, right? That's true. Yeah. You know, they they hang out for millions of years waiting for Alex Hyatt to pick them up <laughs> and take a look at them and say, hey, this has been here for a while, right? Yeah, that's, that's how it much, works, right? That's pretty much all we end up saying. You just write it down in the pad. This rock's been here for a while. And then take another <laughs> one up. <laughs> long time. <laughs> a long time. Grayish color. <laughs> Roundish, grayish color. <laughs> Probably been here a while. Probably. Pretty hard. <laughs> rock number 9005685439. Uh, yeah, it's interesting when I did not to get too far off topic. No one wants to hear about rocks. But I want to hear about rocks. When I did my thesis, um, it was on a volcano in Iceland. Like everyone who works on this volcano, nobody knows when it erupted. It could have been 10,000 years, could have been 150,000 years. So I actually don't know. I can't say like rocks old or not old. Was that a joke against the Icelandic not having good memories? Do they not have good memories? I don't know, but. It could have been. It kind of works as a joke. <laughs> no, I mean they. I, I think they have good memories. They Wait. use this. They use the same script for their language that they used a thousand years ago, essentially. Is so they're lazy a- too. <laughs> Damn. Is right. that not the the um, volcano that exploded that no one can pronounce? No, it's it's not that one. I visited that one. Oh really? Uh, can you pronounce it? Yeah, Eiffel. Come on! Wait, wait, wait! Come on! Do it again. Oh wow! Eiffel yeah, it's close enough. So wait, so you were sitting on a, a volcano working on your thesis paper. What was happening? <laughs> Nothing. I mean, the, it was a quarry. It's a quarry now. They mine the rock out of it to use as like construction filler. Isn't it? Aren't the rocks a little too hot for that? Nope. No, they cooled off. That's a good. while ago. I That's brought a bunch home. Gave one to my mom. How do you get that through customs? You know, they didn't ask. It was the weirdest thing. I, I had a backpack just full of souvenir rocks and no one said a thing. Nice. And if you call in in the next five minutes, Alex will send you an Icelandic rock. Can we give nice. away a rock? Would you give one away to a fan? I'd give away a rock, yeah. Yeah? How big are they? Could you ship them? Um, yeah, no problem. All right, let's give away a rock to a fan right now. Absolutely. All right, so the first person to tweet about this episode when it goes up now, this is the first person that listens to it. I'm not going to put this on the site. I'm not going to put this in the description that we're giving away anything. This is only going to people that are listening to the podcast right now. First person who hears these words in their ears goes on Twitter and tweets about the show and says, hey, I want to rock. 
They're going to get a rock from Alex Hyatt. Are you? Gonna, can you sign the rock? Can you sign it, Dwayne Johnson? I'm not going to sign the rock. I mean, that'd ruin it. Um, okay. I'll, I could include like a slip or like a, a plaque. Some crack cocaine. I'm not going to do a, a fake uh, certificate of authenticity. Right. Yeah, exactly. I can do that. <laughs> you sure. just say do a fake certificate of authenticity. <laughs> <laughs> just like kiss it with some lipstick. Yeah, kiss the rock. It'll be like a Blarney stone. It'll be the smug film <laughs> kissing rock. And whoever wins it will have good luck with movies whenever they yeah. watch them for a whole year. That's, yeah. That sounds great. Because it's a rock kiss by Alex Hyatt. Unless it gets lost in the mail like that Gooby DVD. Oh, man. Oh, Gooby. Oh, don't even bring that up. <laughs> Early on in the site. I don't know. This might be pre-Jenna. It was a while ago, yeah. And uh, we were giving away a Gooby DVD because there's this movie called Gooby, which, <laughs> <laughs> which is about a giant bear Played yeah. by, I think, Robbie Coltrane, the guy from, like, the Harry Potter movies and stuff. He's playing this giant CGI bear named Gooby. And it's a terrible movie. And we wanted to give it away. And we gave it away to somebody. And Alex Hyatt even bought it on Amazon and sent it to the person's house. But it must have gotten lost in the mail or somebody saw it in the mailbox and said, hey, I want this or something. But it never got to the person. <laughs> yeah, somebody saw Gooby in a mailbox and said, hey, I want this. <laughs> it, it's very sad. R.I.P. Because it was like, it was us living up to what we said we were going to do. And this was like yeah. very early on. It was like some fan that was like really into it, into us and everything. And we let him down. And you lost that fan. <laughs> and it was like I, way later we asked him like, hey, you got that Gooby DVD, right? He was like, <laughs> no. And no. it had already and then, been long enough that like we couldn't file a claim with like Amazon right, and no, stuff. It's too late to go back to Amazon. Fucking disaster. I mean, the, it costs like $4 or something. I can always get another one. Well, I, I don't know if they're like jinxed now. I'd be afraid to get another one. That's why I haven't bought it so I could watch it because I'm scared it's not going to arrive. The Gooby that never was. Yeah. So if you're uh, if you're listening to this and you're the fan who we sent Gooby to, A, sorry, I forgot your name. Uh, Michael. Is it Michael? Oh, okay. It's yeah, 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 yeah. Michael, okay. get, get a rock, man. Yeah, maybe Michael can win. Oh, I really <laughs> hope he's listening. <laughs> I really want him to win something. All right, so Alex Hyatt, you've written a lot of pieces for the site. One of the pieces that you wrote, it's probably my favorite, and a lot of people's favorite, is uh, a blank stare is worth a thousand words. Can you sort of summarize that for our listeners who may maybe haven't read that one yet? Yeah, sure. So the whole uh, the whole piece was inspired by the Kuleshov effect, which was an experiment they ran a very long time ago, like three quarters of a century or something like that. And I actually don't remember. There are a few versions of the experiment. I don't remember who did what or which one's real, but they basically had images of a person's blank face and they juxtaposed it with an image of like a coffin with a kid in it or a meal or um, a number of different things. And so when they would cut between that image and back at the face, the audience would would think to themselves, he looks really hungry in that image, or, oh, the person looks really sad in that image, even though the face never actually changed at all. So it was a, it was a pretty cool realization, really, pretty early in the history of film, that um, you can put a lot of emotion into certain images just by placing that image next to other images. Plenty of great movies just really rely on that for really key moments. And my, my favorite example is probably um, 2001 A Space Odyssey, where Kubrick has this image of Hal 9000 of his little camera eye just filling up the entire screen. It's just the circle with a red dot in it. And it's in the movie a bunch of times. And 
even though it's the exact same image every time, just because of the story that is going on right around it at that moment, you feel different things toward Hal or he makes you feel different things. And another uh, example you give is uh, C-3PO in Star Wars, right? Yeah, Which I is love a that great example. example. Talk about that one real quick. Yeah, so that one's even more interesting because in some of them, like it's at least a human space or... Right, you give uh, like Fargo and Lost in Translation yep, as examples yep. of like blank stares. But yeah, it's, uh, it's another robot one, the C-3PO one. Yeah, and he's interesting because he looks so dumb. I mean, the design of 3PO <laughs> is just like really cartoony. But that, that moment in the Star Wars movie is like, for the longest time, I never really put words to it or knew why, but that's like the moment that stuck with me from the first time I saw the movie until now. So it's when um, they're in the trench on the Death Star and R2-D2 just gets hit by the, the laser and he gets fried. And then it cuts down into the control room with Princess Leia and C-3PO and some guy with a huge mustache who's never named. I don't remember what Luke says, but he said, I lost R2 or something like that. And Leia doesn't care. The other guy doesn't care. They're just staring at their control panels or whatever. But C-3PO looks over at Leia for just a second and then turns back. And it's like the saddest thing in the world that he just lost his best friend and no one cares at all. And it was just brilliant. And I never really understood why that worked so well. Um, but it's precisely because his face is completely blank. Yeah, his face is blank for the entire film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in that moment, that's the moment where you really feel the emotion for him, but nothing's really changed on his helmet or anything. Right. It's a so great, it's- great moment. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the cool shop effect I ran into personally when I was making rehearsals, because the whole thing with that movie, if you, for those who don't know, is that it was a documentary that I did where I took like a lot of footage of just aspiring actresses just living their lives like at home, hanging out laying on a bed, eating breakfast, taking a shower, whatever, just going about like what their day would be. And I just cut it all together. So it was like they were all the same girl and it was all just one day cut from like their lives intertwined. So the entire movie and anything anybody takes from it, you know, a lot of times people were watching a movie and they're like, they forget that they're watching a documentary as it goes on because of the flow and the things that they're remembering. Whereas if they were just to look at my bare footage, it'd be like, oh, it's just you just shooting static shots of like people. But there are these flows in that movie that I was able to create in editing because I was essentially writing it in reverse. I was writing it in the editing by how I juxtapose the images and how I was able to make things seem like somebody was sad or somebody was happy or, you know, just all these things that were happening. I created this through line that was entirely arbitrary that I just sort of saw as I was looking at the footage and created. And it was all because of that effect. It was all the juxtaposition of images. It had nothing to do with anything they were giving me that it had nothing to do with any acting even. So I owe that entire movie to that being a thing that's possible with film. It's such a crucial thing to film and it's such a crucial thing to acting where a lot of actors don't realize how little they can give and still convey what's needed of them in the scene. Yeah, that that makes me think of uh, uh, Jean-Pierre Melville films, uh, specifically Les Samurai, which is, I think, just a brilliant, you know, example of minimalist filmmaking at its best, where you have uh, Alain Delon just standing there, mostly just, (laughs) I don't think he says much in that movie. I mean, he has some lines, but you really never learn anything about him. You see the house he lives in is completely bare. 
uh, you know, you kind of meet his girlfriend who you don't get much out of that either. And yet you, you feel for him. And by the end of the movie, you know, you're, you're really connected and you can, what's actually interesting too, with, uh, what you're talking about is how you can read a character multiple ways, how you can, you can read him as sympathetic or you can just read him as a stone cold killer. You can even with, I think like Samurai, you can read him even, even as, uh, maybe autistic, there's something very like interesting how you can interpret it in any way you want, and the ending is always the same. You get it's like a choose your own adventure almost, and it always ends in the in the same scene, and and it ends in the same way, and everybody kind of gets what they want out of it. But yeah, he's a he's a great example, Andalon. I mean, he's just talk about a beautiful man. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh, goddamn. Yeah. But like, I think also like the beauty of like an actor or an actress, it can sort of help you sort of be seduced by the image and like Hal in, in 2001, like that's just a gorgeous image of his eye. So like, it's almost like a sleight of hand where you don't realize the effect of the staticness because you're just so enamored with the beauty and you're noticing all these things about the beauty of the image. It's just that great sort of, you know, sleight of hand magic aspect of filmmaking and editing. Yeah, totally. Hal's a hottie. How's pretty? Yeah, how's how's a pretty man? Yeah, better pretty robot. Three PO, that's for sure. Yeah, as far as like gorgeous robots, Hal is up there. Definitely. Yeah, Wally too. Wally's a cutie. He's cute, but he's not. He doesn't, he doesn't have, have the that, sex like, appeal of Hal. Yeah, <laughs> like Hal, you just kind of feel like safe. You feel safe when you. Well, see, I mean, that's the until he, of the whole thing until he's that. a dick. <laughs> right now, yeah, that's true. But there's something but he's about still it's... an all-seeing eye. I mean, I don't, I've never felt safe looking at Hal. He's I don't know. There's something warm about him. There's a warm glow, certainly. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea that he is the spaceship. Essentially, isn't that the whole thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like everything is Hal, right? You know, that's ooh. I just realized that. Oh man, I never realized that before. Like it's kind of a misdirection because you think of like the eye as Hal. But Hal's the entire spaceship, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. So like every, he's the brain. So like yeah. everything they're interacting with. Oh man, that's crazy. I yeah, never really thought about that because it's that's, such a it totally steers you off. It's almost like a blatant red herring, and it's even red too. Oh shit! <laughs> oh I think no! That's, I think I wish we had a, a button clearer. I could press that was like an <laughs> air horn. I just had like a brain meltdown. Another one of your pieces that's gotten a huge amount of traction is not all movies should have jokes, but all movies should have a sense of humor. That was like a really big one for a while. It's got like 18 comments now that I look at it. Talk to us about that, because I think you're onto something with that one. Well, that's, uh, I mean, that's a much more complicated one. I uh, I mean, the piece, I, it's sort of like my own manifesto. I just, I hate movies that are just morose and sullen the whole time, because it's really like, it's the contrast like sad things in movies aren't they don't feel sad unless the rest of the movie is happy, you know, and vice versa. And but there are movies out there that just they just don't let up. It's like and superhero think, movies now, like the darkness yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah, I, I can't stand them. Um, things like The Man of Steel. I thought the uh, on the last episode, you guys' conversation was really interesting, and it almost made me want to watch it. But everything I've seen of it is just it's just so leaden, which is one reason why like Guardians of the Galaxy as dumb as it looks i'm actually looking forward to a bunch just because it you know it's it knows it's a cartoon and it runs with it completely yeah it's like a break i mean yeah exactly that's that's what i feel that's exactly what i feel when i watch the trailer because i watched the trailer for like ever since say like the dark knight rises where every every single superhero movie trailer is just the inception trailer over again or like say like uh, star trek into darkness and i i just see it and i'm just like oh god here we go again did you see uh thor 
I saw the I saw both Thors. Yeah, that was very cartoony. I thought it was. Yeah, no, Marvel Marvel's better at it, I guess, in general than uh, DC the DC adaptations. Um, and I actually liked the Thor sequel quite a bit. I think it's my favorite Marvel movie so far. So your whole thing with the piece, just to bring it back to that, is yeah. um, you know every movie should have its own sense of humor, essentially, because that will sort of guide it through the warm stuff and the cold stuff and everything in between, I guess. And I think yeah. you, you bring up like Coen Brothers. And it's also the point you make is it's not that a movie needs jokes. Mm-hmm. It just needs some sort of inherent sense of what is happy and funny within yes. it. And it's it's like, yeah, it can be completely separate from the story. So like Fargo, I think one of the points I make is that Fargo is, is a funny movie. It's a black comedy. It has jokes. Some of my favorite jokes ever are in that, uh, like the license plate joke, which I can't recall word for word, but it's just so good. But even if you took all of those actual jokes out of there, it would still make you laugh. And it's like even completely separate from the story, completely separate from the jokes. It's like, you know, any movie is you having a conversation with the director. And I want that conversation to be like genial and fun, even if the movie is really morose. Yeah, there needs to be sort of like a a, a railing to get through it. Like I'll, I'll go down any dark tunnel of film wants me to go down as long as there's some sort of railing like the movie the movie sallow that's like a great example of a movie without a railing to hold on to right essentially i think a lot most movies you you really need that railing i guess mm-hmm. of humor or something some sort of whatever i think kubrick is actually the, a real genius with that on top of the coen brothers them definitely but a kubrick make a, a clockwork orange makes me laugh so much and it's such a dark movie every time i watch that movie i think like oh my god it's like Jesus Christ, you know. Like I always forget how how vicious and dark that film is. But there's these little scenes. I mean, like the expressions, uh, mm. the way that people say things. Like I always think of when Alex is marched into the Ludovico uh, Medical Treatment Center, and he's like doing these like majorly high goose steps because he's just happy <laughs> to be out of prison. Yeah. And it's just so it's just dripping with sarcasm. Just the way he walks, and it always makes me laugh. Or um. How, uh, you know, um, the writer, Alex, when he he sort of pushes, he's feeding uh, Alex and he, he's, you know, you know, something's going to happen to him and he's totally blissfully unaware of it. And he just like pours, he goes, more wine yeah with that like intensity. It's hilarious. I mean, it's such a funny movie. Lolita has that, too. I mean, Peter Sellers is hilarious. Yeah. And his interactions uh, just with everybody is just and it's such a dark, <laughs> creepy, freaking movie. <laughs> and also, um. Like when people complained about the brown bunny when that came out, there's so much like handrail in that movie. There are so many funny moments in that movie that don't get any credit that are just as funny as like little quirky moments in like Buffalo 66. Did you guys ever see the brown bunny? No, I know you love it. Yeah, I saw Buffalo 66. but Well, people don't like give it enough credit, brown bunny, because like there are these moments where like he stops and like talks to people along his like trip across uh, America. Well, not fully across America, but wherever he's going to. They're just funny as hell. Like he goes into like a pet store and it's just this like sad, but sadly funny moment where he's like asking about like bunny rabbits and stuff. And it's just this kid who could like care less. But like that movie just doesn't get credit for that. But there was definitely a a handrail there. But I guess people couldn't overlook like other surface elements or whatever. But it was definitely there for people who wanted to grab onto it. It feels it's manipulative, I think, otherwise. I think of um, Lars von Trier. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. He yeah. is such a manipulator. I mean, like, Dancer in the Dark. Like, that, yeah. that's a movie yes. where there's not one damn moment. And then by the end of it, you're you're 
you're like maybe crying or you're really upset and then you just you have resentment towards him yeah for it. No, that's a great example because i watched that pretty recently and it's it's a movie that i probably wouldn't have gone out of my way to watch but i watched it for a class and just the whole time like it's really long the image is just really offensively harsh on your eyes the whole time and so is the sound and it's just like a slow march to death the whole time and I'm just thinking to myself the whole time, like, why? I just want to laugh once. Just give me something. Because otherwise, I'm just angry at the movie. Right. And it's, it's the same thing with a lot of horror movies that where it's just like, you know how it's going to end because of the way it's set up. Like things that I used to love, like The Descent, the Neil Marshall movie, which I probably still like. I haven't seen it in a while. But, you know, you know where it's going to go because just that sort of horror movie always ends with everybody dying right. um, or like a person escaping. But who cares? And it's just there's there's like nothing, nothing to enjoy out of it. And like it might exhaust me, but it, it doesn't leave me with anything by the end. Bonchur is frustrating, too, because he's certainly capable of bringing funniness into it. Dogville has some very funny moments. Yeah, Dogville I like. And uh, Manderley too. Like, even, like, the credit sequences of Dogville at the end, like, you have to laugh, and there's that levity there. It's just so frustrating that somebody so capable would choose not to use those paintbrushes in his pocket, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. And his show, too, Regette, The Kingdom, is, like, really funny. Mm -hmm. Every episode, you're laughing. Yeah, but he just, he abstains sometimes. I feel like he goes out of his way just to kind of say, fuck you. To, to his audience. He's a weird one. I can never figure out what he what he cares about that he makes and what he doesn't care about. Yeah, yeah. Because there's this great quote from Aki Kurismaki once where he said that he can't tell the difference between the movies that he made when he was drunk off his ass and the movies <laughs> he made when he wasn't. Like, they just all... He can't even remember which ones are which. But I feel like with Von Trier, I know that some of his movies he like just doesn't give a shit and some of his movies he really does give a shit. But I don't know if I only love the movies where he doesn't give a shit or I only love the movies where he does give a shit. Like his <laughs> Dogville, I think, is a fucking masterpiece. Tarantino once said Dogville, it should have won like the Pulitzer Prize. If it was like a stage play, it would have won like all these awards. It's just perfect. It's so well written, so well constructed. And I don't know if that's just something he crapped out and like stuff that I don't like of his, like melancholia is the stuff that he really, 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 really cares about right. or if that's the junk. Like I can't tell with him. There's no indication either way. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Um, it's an interesting feeling because when I watch melancholia, like I, it was, it was also a movie just, just like that where it just, yeah, it's going to have an effect on you because it is like the images are powerful. The music's loud as hell. Um, and it'll, it'll get to you one way or another, but like I didn't really enjoy it. I don't think I'll ever go back to it. Um, yet there are those little moments in it, like a lot of the banter between some of the characters like I loved. And so even if that was a movie he's just crapping out, he's still not that bad at, at doing those little things. Like it's is if that's just the way that he the way that he conceives of dialogue, if it's that natural, then it's still better than most. And it'd be nice if he gave a shit or honed it. I think of like Louie as well. Um, mm, yeah, Louis is a good example. Yeah, yeah, because in the show, it's like ev- every scene, the dialogue is just so so far above what I'm used to with TV, and uh, I I can't tell if that's like there are there are snippets within that show, and I can't tell if that's like a story he really cared to put in, or if that was just his he had a quick idea so he shot it and threw it there. Like either way, it's still really really good. I think we're going to take a quick break and then we will come back for uh, old, new, borrowed, blue and some questions. 
See you soon. And now, a movie joke by comedian Anthony Kapfer. I have an idea for a horror movie. It's a reimagining of the film 28 Days Later, but it's all about women and their periods. This has been a movie joke by comedian Anthony Kapfer. Visit him at anthonykapfer.com. K-A-P-F-E-R. And now it's our segment, Old, New, Borrowed, Blue. For old, I'm going to talk about a movie called Heaven's Gate, which is kind of infamous as like this goddamn movie that cost too much and didn't live up to expectations. But uh, Criterion put it out maybe a year ago. It's an incredible movie. I went into it just expecting, you know, it being like a curiosity. It's a really gorgeous movie. There are some visuals in it that are like the best I've ever seen ever in a film. And the story works and it totally works as a movie, but it just has this notoriety about it, about just being like this failure of the studio trusting this director who they shouldn't have trusted and him just, you know, rebuilding entire sets because they weren't right and just constantly always changing everything. It was, I think it was like the the biggest budget movie like at the time and biggest failure and this, that, and the other, but it's a gorgeous fucking movie. Have you guys seen that one? I haven't. It's interesting though that you mentioned it because I was reading about it not too long ago. So much of what you hear, like there are people who actually call it the worst film ever made and stuff like that. So that's interesting. It's crazy to me. Like you watch it and you can't even fathom how somebody could even feign hate for it. Yeah. It's not too different from Freddy Got Fingered. Like even the first time I saw that, I, I could not understand how like a, a smart person with a sense of humor could watch it and not like find worth in it. Exactly. It was, it was so alien to me. And with, with Heaven's Gate, it just feels like a Criterion film. Like from the moment you start it, you're like, yeah, this feels like Criterion Collection film, something that they found that's well revered. Everything that you heard about it just goes aside and you're just in it. And it's a, it's a remarkable film. Jenna, you have a new one that you saw recently that you liked? Yeah, I went to go see The Double in theaters, which is the new uh, Richard Iowati movie starring Jesse Eisenberg. And I went to go see that because I adore Richard Iowati, who was um, might be more well-known as um, Moss from the IT crowd. He was also uh, in Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, Man to Man oh, with yeah, Dean Lerner. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, he, he um, makes movies now. He did Submarine, which came out a couple of years ago, which I really thought was charming. It was cute. Had good soundtrack and uh, look always looks interesting. He always he he likes that very kind of seventies um, like uh, it's like a kind of retro look. And the double is completely shot in that, and it looks fantastic. It's basically uh, it's based off this uh, Dostoevsky uh, short uh, novel. I think it's a short novel about a guy who uh, works at a company, and then his doppelganger gets hired, and he's like way cooler and smarter, and and then um, or he is, and it's Jesse Eisenberg, so he's like you know always the loser, <laughs> and then you get to see like the the cool Jesse Eisenberg, which was kind of funny too. It was he was well acted, and what was great about the whole movie though is that it's. Um, very atmospheric it's in this really cool world it's sort of outside of time this 80s universe actually there's these great little like you know 
short uh, clips of like television shows in the background that are just like so stylized, so awesome. Kind of looks like a very uh, Soviet. It's as if a uh, Soviet Russia, you know, managed to take over the United States in the 80s or something. And it, mm-hmm. all of this technology is really strange, outdated, but it looks like it, you know, used to exist and wonderful setting. I mean, really great looking movie. And then it's super trippy, which is which is my kind of my kind of movie. I was just going to say, yeah, when I saw the trailer, it had a pretty Kafka-esque vibe to it. Definitely. Yeah, it's super it, it's super um, bizarre and it kind of spirals out of control. It's very interesting. I mean, it's a type of movie where you kind of leave thinking like, well, I really enjoyed that. And it, it makes you laugh, actually. That's one thing I really loved about it is it really makes you laugh in, in certain parts. And yet it's still kind of this strange movie. You kind of leave thinking like, wow, what, what did I just watch? Well, but, Kafka's funny as shit. I mean, he doesn't get oh, yeah. credit for that. Oh, like, sure. You know, people just think, you know, his most sensational aspects, but... He's just a funny, funny guy. Oh, absolutely. The castle. And every movie version of the castle is always pretty funny, too. I haven't seen Henneke's castle. Did you see that one? No, you know, I have it. I didn't it. know he did that. Yeah, I, I own it. I haven't watched it yet. I haven't I'm, watched it I have either. no excuse for not seeing it yet because it's literally right over there. I could go <laughs> grab it. I could stick it in my computer and watch it right now while you guys are talking. There's another version of the castle. I mean, this is actually veering into old called Zamak, which was uh, directed by um, uh, Alexei uh, Balabanov, <laughs> question mark, if I said that correctly. I saw that. It was a great version of that, that book. If you guys can find it, really interesting. But the double, very good. I would absolutely recommend it. I love Richard Ayawadi. I can't wait to see what his next movie is going to be. I think that one of the reviews I read, actually, it was a bad review of the movie. It has normally, it has pretty good reviews, I think. But one bad review kind of said, that it was like a darker Wes Anderson stylistically, which I don't see at all. But he's he's so, he does have a very um, coherent style, which I like, and I love I love seeing that in movies. So I mean, if you just want to see a movie that looks super cool, will make you laugh out loud, and maybe kind of scratch your head, then absolutely, the double was awesome. Yeah, I've been sleeping on this guy. I got to check him out. He he's, seems like he's up my alley. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is hilarious. People have been recommending yeah. I watch that for like years and years. I got to finally fucking do it. Watching yeah, Garth- the double, I, st- I went back and watched Garth Marenghi and I've been like crying myself to sleep. It's so good. I'll check it <laughs> out. Yeah. So that and um, the other show that he worked on, Snuffbox. Those two. Yes, are like some Snuffbox. Of my, I've seen I some of Snuffbox. Snuffbox. I like that a lot. So Nobody good. likes Snuffbox. Everyone I tell to watch it hates it. Oh, I love it. I liked good. what I saw of it. All right, so Alex, you have one for Borrowed, right? Yeah. This is something you saw streaming? Yeah, I saw this on Netflix. It's uh, The Man of Tai Chi, which is Keanu Reeves' directorial debut. So it's it's basically a pet project of his that he's been working on for a long time. I think they, he thought it up in 2008 um, when he was working with a stunt guy named Tiger Chen from uh, China. They just had this idea for a, a story about Tai Chi. Uh, the movie's pretty Tai Chi-y. It's all about like balance and control and it's sort of about like old China meeting new China and stuff like that. But it's a martial arts movie and it's uh, it's pretty like classically choreographed. Um, it's not like the raid or Ang Bak or these sorts of new martial arts movies that are just extremely brutal, which I love. But it's not that sort of thing. It's it's a little bit gentler. But the choreography is fantastic and it's pretty much all fights. Like I think there's 40 solid minutes of fighting in it. But it's interesting because uh, I mean, it's not a great movies like the story's dumb keanu's performance is incredibly hokey 
and flat and dumb and it's endearing for that reason. The most interesting thing about the movie is just the uh, the photography. He was working with this company, I forgot what it's called, but they have a camera system called the um, Bot and Dolly. And it's just a robotic arm on a dolly that's automatically controlled and you basically program in all the camera movements. Mm. And so they you can weave around things really quickly and get shots that you just a human with a single camera would not be able to do. Unfortunately, that camera broke right before they filmed it, which I didn't know <laughs> when I saw the movie because it definitely has that vibe. Like the camera is just all over the place, going 360 degrees around people. Mm. Um, and so it's it's really like live. The feel of the fights is really, really cool. And I think it's, the movie in general just looks really, really gorgeous. Every shot is like so wide that th- like the set is like bending around the edges of the, edges of the screen. And it's just great. So yeah, if you like martial arts at all, if you want to see what Keanu Reeves has been up to, it's a really, really good martial arts movie. Does he feel like an auteur or does it feel more that he's like kind of feeling it out and grabbing from other places? I guess it's it's kind of hard to say. Visually, I haven't seen a martial arts movie like it maybe ever. So maybe that's uh, his thing, I guess. Maybe. Yeah. Like, it, I think it looks great. So if supposing he had much to do with that, then I guess that. That's cool. I'll have to check that out. So for our blue movie pick. Right behind Jenna's head. Oh, God. <laughs> there is a blue bag, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I this see isn't, it. This isn't a magic trick. I'm just trying to build suspense. I think I can guess what's in the bag. There's a movie in that bag, okay? Probably Gooby. Did I get it? Actually, it's not even a movie, but it's a DVD. I got it Gooby. from... Gooby. From, it's not Gooby. <laughs> Damn it. Stop saying Gooby. Hashtag Gooby. <laughs> um... There's a blue bag behind Jenna's head, and um, I don't want you to open the bag because it's going to sound like shit. <laughs> you don't want that nice rustling in this mic? It's going to be crinkly and awful, but inside that bag, okay, Best Buy bag, I got um, Children's Hospital Season 1 and 2 for a $9.99 on DVD. It was on sale. Maybe it's still on sale. Check it out. Usually it goes for like 17 bucks on Amazon. You can't really find it that cheap anywhere. And if you haven't seen Children's Hospital, that is such a fucking good show. Like, I don't know why anybody would not watch it if they like funny things. But it seems I like... I need to see it. But I, you know what? It's the ads turn me off because they're really creepy. Oh, it's so but good. But everyone who's so good is in that, isn't it? It's it's immaculate. Have you seen that one yet, Alex? That's serious? No, no. I, Adult Swim is something that I just like... There's so much new, different stuff all the time that I I don't keep up with it at all. Yeah, it's hard to keep up with, but that one, go out of your way. Get right. season one, two. If it's still on sale on Best Buy, guys, just jump on it. If you have seen it, you know what I'm talking about. You know it's just incredible. So it's not a movie, but it is blue, and I just had to do that whole blue bag thing. It's there. I can <laughs> confirm it. <laughs> it's right there. So that concludes this segment, and we will be right back with the mailbag. Actually, we'll just go into it right away because I don't have a mailbag jingle like I did with the uh, old new bar and blue. So let's uh, let's open this mailbag. Anthony asks, do you think that digital video is too clean to convincingly portray ugliness and dirtiness on screen? We always talk about the, the high ISO, your, your favorite thing in grain. I think you can do it if you do it like that. I think how it's used traditionally and what the proper way is of using digital video is obviously as little grain as possible. Like that seems to be the goal. Like that's what's cool about digital is because you can do grainless stuff. We talked a little bit about Kari Fukunaga's movie Jane Eyre, like on one of the previous episodes. And my favorite aspect of it, I didn't even get a chance to bring up because I think it just slipped in my mind 
was that he plays around with ISO in that movie a lot. Like there are scenes that are just grainy as fuck, digital grain, and there are scenes that are very clean. I mean, that's such a twisted story. You need that that graininess there at some points to get really dark with it and make it feel like you didn't even know what was going to happen. So he's, if you go check out his version of Jane Eyre, that's a great example of how to use it in a fun way that really gets ugliness and dirtiness and griminess into the screen. I think also lighting has a lot to do with it. I think anything that's a well-produced movie, well-lit, in atmospheric i mean actually the double has a very grimy kind of look to it It has a very 80s like that everything kind of rusting look to it Mm -hmm. and uh he does it great i mean i actually i admittedly don't know if that was shot on film or digital but uh, you know you probably probably digital i'm going i'm going to assume or something like that movie prisoners uh was also just very dark i mean it was atmospheric and I don't know. I'd say that you can do it. Well, a lot of times what people are doing now is they're wiping the footage of any digital grain, making it super clean, and then applying um, layers of actual film grain over it to Mm. give it a graininess, which can look very good. I think that's how they did the Aliens Blu-ray, because the problem with Aliens was that the um, film stock that they used for that was very high grain and very ugly. Like if they were to just do it directly, like a direct transfer, it just wouldn't look right. So they wiped it and they applied green over it. And it it looks fantastic, that Blu-ray. Hmm. Um, but movies are doing that just in general. Movies shot on digital, they're just wiping it and then reapplying it. But I think there's something fun about playing with the actual ISO on the camera. Horror movies are a perfect excuse to just use whatever is effective. You know, mm-hmm. what, whatever is most effective, that's what you should do in your horror movie. You know, 28 Days Later, perfect example. You know, they break a lot of uh, rules with how they're using these cameras and even with the cameras they're using in and of themselves. And it's just, it's it's very effective. It, it works really, really well. So I think if you want to get something grimy, you got to just get grimy with it when you're working <laughs> with digital, you know? You got to get, get grimy with it. Well, Cody Clark. <laughs> um, like, I, I think of, I immediately thought of the, or the Raid Redemption, and you guys had talked about this. Right, that's a great example. An old episode, like, that was shot digitally, and it still looks grimy and gross and dirty and dark the whole time. And it's, you know, a lot of that has to do with, like, things outside of the camera itself, like sets, lighting, stuff like that. And even like in low light, when you're using your actual eyes, you do see graininess. So there's a certain level of graininess that we just accept as part of living our life. Like even in the light in this room right now, if you stare at the white walls, you're going to see like grain. And the mood lighting that Cody has. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, with my candles. (laughs) Um, You know what I mean? Like if you look at like a white in low light, you see the grain that's just part of your vision. So... We're very open to accepting rain just because that's how we see the world. So mm-hmm. it's weird when people just wipe it and just leave it wiped, you know. That was always what was so striking about uh, like HD and digital to me was that everything's in focus. And I, as somebody especially who wears contact lenses, <laughs> like when I see everything. Why isn't in a, everything blurry? Yeah, it's like, it, <laughs> but it's true. It's like, you know, there's there's something about just being able to see every building in like a wide shot where you can see like the details if i were to pause it i could like point out like who's sleeping who's naked you know like 
that, that's too much for me. I'm like, man, it's too much, too much information. Like I, I want to know like where I'm focusing, you know, even in my own vision. But then again, mm-hmm. I, I am flawed human being. Well, yeah, I mean, in real life, you like no one sees completely clearly. There's always like a depth of focus thing going on with wherever you're looking and your peripheral vision is not as focused as everything else. So it is, it's also strange to me to see really wide shots where this, this focus is really deep and you can see everything. The the irony there is that people will go and like hate on a camera for like being you know a little soft like the lens is a little soft it's mm-hmm. like fuck you your eyes are a little soft just right, in yeah, general yeah yeah the whole the whole <laughs> obsession with like clarity and yeah I mean I don't I don't fuck? get it all like that the <laughs> Hobbit the Hobbits one and two I just think are the ugliest things mm-hmm. yeah and they yet, got really ugly and yet when I see the Hobbit one when I saw the Hobbit one in theater it was probably the clearest movie image i've ever seen like i was i was kind of blown away by it but it it didn't like didn't make the movie any more enjoyable (laughs) still hate it exactly yeah all right so next question is this is from frank and he asks how would you envision a lars von trier version of godzilla (laughs) (laughs) oh no that's interesting first of all it'd be like four or five hours because that's the train he's on right now right yes Mm -hmm. so it's gonna be five hours it's going to be, it, you know, it, it'll be all about people talking about like and reexamining their lives of like Godzilla's coming, Godzilla's coming, you know, this, that, so and it'll the other. So it'll just be melancholia. But it'll be melancholia, of... but then <laughs> Godzilla, like he'll cut before Godzilla ever comes or something. Right. And yeah. he'd also, he'd shoot it all from the ground. So you'd only get shots of his feet crushing people and ruining <laughs> lives and like nonstop. It so would be like. You're assuming that he would even get up to like. The Godzilla destruction part. I don't think he's even going to get up to that. I think the last hour would be destruction. Like, there would be no stopping. After four hours of, like, people having weird sex and (laughs) depressing conversations and crying and actresses being put through, like, hell and stuff like that, then you just Then he'd just show you their bodies being crushed, like, one by one, every single character... Just being like destroyed, and then then like the a good five minutes lingering on like their their body, like it would just be slow motion too, right? It'd be slow motion. Yeah. See them getting like, crushed like at like 120 frames per second, <laughs> yeah. slowed down, really, just like this boy just like, crushing for like forever. You'd never see a shot of his face. It would just be the from the ground only. Or he'd go all Dogville with it and have Godzilla crushing buildings that don't even exist. <laughs> <laughs> like, it'll just be Godzilla's foot like coming down and crushing what we are all pretending a building is, but is really just a chalk outline of a building on the ground. And it's just everybody running around like a warehouse. Yeah. That means Maybe there's I, no Godzilla. Maybe it's just everyone just falls as if they're being crushed. That would be beautiful. Or, I honestly couldn't get past the slow motion part in Antichrist. That's where I stopped. Yeah, me too. I can't. It's too long. And, I can't handle that in the melancholy either. It's just. Yeah. His yeah. slow motion shit I don't like. What if it's like the idiots and it's just people running around pretending to be Godzilla and like <laughs> fucking shit up? That I'd watch actually. <laughs> that would be wonderful if it's just like it's the human embodiment of Godzilla. So it's just like a group of like people acting crazy and growling at like unsuspecting people throwing chairs and stuff. All right. So last question is this is a long one. Bear with me. So many once legit actors reach a point in their careers where they are churning out roles more frequently than ever but none that are even close to worthwhile for them or us mostly in action and comedy but there are examples across the board i've heard them called cash grabs but for some of them we aren't even talking about movies that will gross much bank and i just can't accept that it is that simple 
I understand that with age, one may lose the edge or ability that once made them so good, but these aren't swings and misses. What the fuck is going on, smug pod peeps? And that's from Jill. Uh, I guess what he's alluding to with action and comedy, maybe De Niro with like... I was going to say Pacino. Yeah, Pacino, a lot of these guys. I think uh, when it comes to like action people like Jean-Claude Van Damme and Schwarzenegger and a lot of these guys that are like still making these movies and they're like terrible. I think people are forgetting that a lot of the ones that they made in like the 80s and the 90s were pretty fucking terrible too. (laughs) I think it's a nostalgia thing where you only remember the hits. You don't remember the misses. And then when they're making misses now, you're like, hey, what's going on? You know what I think it is? I think that what happens to a lot of actors in particular, someone like Tom Cruise, I think, falls into this. Jack Nicholson, De Niro, Pacino, all of these sort of monsters of of acting. They make a bunch of great movies when they start out because they're, they're just they're directed well. They're fantastic. They're like, you know, they're much smaller. And now you suddenly have a ton of directors who are like, I want that guy. That guy's so good in that movie. I want him. And then they write movies for that guy. So then suddenly Tom Cruise now is Tom Cruise in every movie or Jack Nicholson's Jack Nicholson in every movie, you know, or Al Pacino. I I feel like Scarface and beyond, everyone just wanted him as he was in Scarface. And then every everything that he's taken since is kind of this reiteration of that character because they're hiring him for now this character that he's perceived to be, even though he was an actor. Right. Loud guy. And now, you know, now it also, it opens up this whole world of now comedians can make fun of you. And now like, you know, people can put posters up of you because you represent something very specific. But they were like, all those guys made shit movies back then too. Like, uh, I mean, Pacino in the nineties, like Sea of Love and like a couple of those other ones are just terrible movies. But Pacino in the seventies is amazing. And then into the 80s, and then there's like a couple of, and then everything posts. It's like, that, and then he got this recognition, and he, he was sort of, and he, I mean, he was famous in the 70s too, but I feel like he got he got into that groove of taking parts that were written for him, or parts that people are probably forced to him, and I'm sure money's part of it. I really do, Pacino, Pacino had a better time of it in the 70s. De Niro, early on, there's a lot of shitty movies that he made, and you yeah. always see them like in the bargain bin of like, hey, a bunch of De Niro movies, and like <laughs> nine of them are ones you've never even heard of. So he did a bunch of shit. Tom Cruise did a bunch of shit, too. I mean, he's he's always done shit. I think Tom Cruise was in some good movies. He has yeah, his moments. He, yeah, Magnolia. Legend. <laughs> War of the Worlds, I, I thought he was good. And he, he's good at, like, making these movies once in a while where you forget all the shit ones that he made. He was like, good I, in Eyes Wide Shut. I thought Vanilla Sky was not a great movie, but it was pretty good for him. I actually like him a lot as an actor. I just think the movies that he chooses sometimes, like uh, what was that that sci-fi one? You saw that one, Alex, right? Oblivion, yeah. Oh, Oblivion. I saw that. It was yeah, terrible. what was the deal with that one? It was bad. <laughs> I just like part of the reason I didn't like it was him, but it was he didn't ruin it by any means. It's not a good. It was like adult. a perfume commercial. <laughs> it was, yeah, exactly. Oh God, the like so much of the beginning of the movie takes place with him and his wife in their floating house, and it's just the dullest. Like you cannot imagine a duller marriage. Yeah, and they live in the sky, and they have like a pool in the sky and a spaceship, and it's still the most boring thing. His new one's supposedly really good. It's been getting That's, great reviews. Yeah, uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, looking forward to that. I hope he doesn't ruin it. Yeah, we'll he, see. He's just he's fine. He's one of those actors I I don't like for no real reason. But Tom Cruise's face like automatically takes the movie down a notch for me. <laughs> Sorry. No, I hear you with that. It's like a you're just so used to it. You see it everywhere, and then it's yeah. like now I have to buy that his name is like 
Greg and <laughs> right, exactly. He has these yeah. kids, and you know, yeah, this, because that, he's become this guy. I think that's it. Celebrity ruins people, really. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Well, it definitely ruined Nicholson. I think that's a perfect example. I mean, Nicholson now. What he does every year is he's just he sits in the front row at the Oscars and people make a couple Nicholson jokes and he has some like yeah the cut to reactions. facial reactions yeah. that's his that's his gig it's his main role that's his main yeah. consistent role you know he's in this show called the Oscars <laughs> it, I think some of these guys they they enjoy being this caricature of themselves because they just they're loved and they yeah. get away with it and it's not it doesn't make up most of their lives I mean they're filthy rich probably having a great time and exactly. Then- few times a year though it's like going out a couple times a year with like a costume on it's like you right. know it's just a costume that they wear and they just go out in public and people love them for it and then they go back to their house and they get to live their lives and we never really know about it i do think they should always bill it as like jack nicholson as jack nicholson in <laughs> the oscar <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely um so i think that answered the question i mean the cash grab aspect obviously none of these guys need the money i think that's an important point you know if Pacino never made another movie, his family's going to be okay. I think they'll be <laughs> yeah. all right. Same thing with Nicholson and all these other guys. I mean, they do it, I guess, to stay relevant and because they just enjoy it, you know? Actually, yeah. you know, Matthew McConaughey is a good example of that because he kind of managed to reinvent himself that way. He kept getting parts that were written for him to be this sort of lame loser or like, you know, hottie or whatever, you know, like like chick flick kind of crap. Exactly. And then, he managed to like pull back, stop, and then, you know, come back as, this, you know, the True Detective, um, Dallas Buyers Club, all, all of these more serious films. Mud. And it worked for him. Mud, yeah. Mud, yeah. I think uh, everybody can do that if they really apply themselves. If they're in that position where they have all that power, if they really want to, they can do that, I guess. And if they're talented. <laughs> but they're all talented. All these guys are talking about, obviously, they're all talented. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just, I don't know. It's It's almost like... You know, people don't give sports guys shit for that. You know, it's not like anybody's going up to Michael Jordan and is like, hey, why aren't you playing as good as you used to? Right, right. You know, but for actors, I think we expect that they can always bring it, but maybe they can't. Maybe Nicholson just doesn't want to really put the work in that he once did anymore. I mean, acting takes a lot out of you, especially given yeah. if you're given like an, an important, crucial performance in a film. If you're essentially carrying a film, that's that's a lot of weight. And a lot of these guys, they're getting up there in their age. Maybe they just can't play basketball like they once used to. Maybe it just comes down to that. And it's also like no one, like none of them, even if they could be great, no one's going to put them in a lead movie, a leading role in a blockbuster. Like, because they're they're not going to draw people. I don't even know if actors draw people anymore. I don't know if that's what brings people to theaters like it used to. Yeah, I think that's over. I think that sort of passed. But maybe that's part of it, is that, like, the charisma that everyone attaches to them isn't going to sell tickets like it might have at one point. Right. And so why why pay them the amount of money that they demand to to have that sort of part? It's almost like we're covered as far as entertainment from these people, you know? Right. It's like if we want to see them do good work, there's 20 DVDs we could go watch, you know? Yeah. It's like, we don't really need to go out to a movie and check them out. That's interesting that none of these guys have been tapped for like an aging superhero in any of those movies. Cause isn't there like that whole thing of like Batman's old at some point in the comics, like in like, there's a younger guy or I don't know. I don't read these fucking things, but I hear that. Right. Isn't there? Yeah, one I mean, that was, like, that was kind n- of a theme in like dark Knight rises. Was that he's getting old. But there's like a, isn't there some like arc of... Oh, yeah, I think there is. Where it's I like mean, Batman's I, like an older guy. 
Right. Yeah. I don't know. The point is, why aren't these guys being tapped right. for that? I mean, mm-hmm. it seems like that would be because superhero movies are the only thing that makes money these days. But anyway, that, I think we're uh, we're able to close this mailbag now. We've done it's three. Not a real mailbag. You don't know. No, it is. it is. It's here. So you're not here right now. You're not staring at this gaping maw filled with um, letters. So you like printed out Facebook comments? Well, you know how like rooms usually have like floors? Not here, baby. Just a gaping maw. Just a gaping (laughs) maw full of letters. An abyss full of smug film questions. You just like reach down. We're just sitting on piles of letters. Like a grabber arm or something. With candles all around. Yeah. (laughs) It's actually very dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) The candles make it very dangerous. Oh, yeah. But... You know, whatever. It's all for art. Whatever, man. They may never hear the candles. They may never hear the mail that we're sitting on. But it enhances the experience for us and makes us able to do this to the best of our ability. It's all part of our process. All right, so Alex, you'll have to come back at some point. Oh, definitely. I miss you, buddy. When are you coming back to New York City? That's a good question. Uh, you know, I think I'm visiting uh, Washington, D.C. sometime. In That's fall, not so. New York City. I can do both, though. We're like eight do. hours apart. I think three hours by train, right? Yeah, it's pretty close. Oh, okay, I always get Boston, New York. And, and Boston's like Washington. four hours. Boston's like four. <laughs> D.C.'s they're all, like three. All this, they're all the same. I mean, a train from where I am now, Michigan, to the East Coast is like a 20, 20 to 30 hour ride, so... A few hours either on either end of the event gonna make that big of a difference. Yeah, get on it, Alex. Yeah, get on that train. Are your bags packed? I'm moving to Illinois, so that's even farther away from New York. Oh no! Fuck you. <laughs> Why are you leaving us? I feel I... like he's abandoning us. You think you get an extra al- hour, Alex? But you know what? You just lose an hour with our hearts. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I think I'm okay with that. All right. Thank you for being on the show, Alex. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jenna. Any last words from you people? I watched all of the Mad Max movies in as many days and... Hated them? I have mixed emotions. But we'll save, I, that for, save that for John We're going to save it, but I, I think... hear him yell at you over that. <laughs> I think everyone should go watch them. Yeah, I've only seen Just Rogue Warrior, it. and it's great. The, the last one is so 80s it hurts. I can see that, yeah. And it's like, like Predator 2. I might have liked if it weren't the most 80s movie ever. Oh, uh, Predator 2. Don't even get me started. I yeah. Predator 1 is... I love it more than Aliens. Oh, I yeah. think it's a masterpiece. I love um, Predator. But give me a last word there, Alex. Uh, watch Predators. I know you don't like it. Oh, fuck Cody. that one. That Predators lost, is fantastic. I lost ripoff. <laughs> it's, Hate that it's not, shit. It's not a lost ripoff. It's great. All right. One of my, my last words are... Um, Oh, be be nice to people. <laughs> Great. Be be righteous. Be a good person. Actually, I, I have a I have a last word for Cody. Yeah, it's about me. What? I've reviewed nine hundred ninety nine movies on Flickster and like oh God. five on Smug Film. <laughs> <laughs> so the next movie I see will be one thousand. Oh man, you gotta pick it carefully. That's a lot, yeah. It Who better knows? not be like uh, Mr. Bean's Holiday or something. <laughs> yeah. It better be something like great. I got, I got something in mind. All right. Oh, is uh, is he worth watching? Atwater, whatever his name is. Rowan Atkinson. Atkinson. He's great. Yeah. He's amazing. Okay. I've, I've never seen um, what's the show? Blackadder. Blackadder is yes. the best. Well, you his, like it. His Rowan Atkinson live DVD is fucking hysterical. It's like him doing a whole bunch of different skits live on stage. It's, it, mm-hmm. You got maybe that would be like the first thing you should see of his. All right, all right. So go check that out, and you listeners home, go check that out. Great DVD. Anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, subscribe, rate, comment. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.